0: All right, so we are in week two of Tens and Temples. The whole idea of this series is we are trying to learn about what is the presence of God. That's had some really funny stories last week. I told you guys the kind of churches that I grew up in, and there's so many good things from it, but no matter where you come from, okay, what your church background is, kind of throw out what your idea is of what the presence of God is. If you think the presence of God is organs and, you know, uh, painted glass, okay, if you think the presence of God is... Uh, spiritual goosebumps and (laughs) everyone's like, what are you talking about? Uh, Some people getting weird, okay? I mean, throw it out, okay? The goal of this series is to jump in the scriptures and find out from the book, what is the presence of God? What's it mean? And most importantly, how do we live in and near the presence of God? So the first week of this series, the first question was this, we must choose to live near the presence of God. So where we left off on Sunday was, how near to the presence of God are you willing to live? Do you hear me? How near to the presence of God are you willing to live? We found out the story of David where he he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant, basically this this this, this large container that held the presence of God. They're bringing it back to their city, to their people, and he has a really bad experience. He decides, I'm not sure I want to live this close to the presence of God because he kind of insists on things being done his own way. And so from that, we go through and and we learn that basically it's a choice. We need to choose how near to God we'd like to live. So with that, here's a definition for you guys. The presence of God. When you think about the presence of God, here's what you guys think about. His presence is this. It's his nearness... His availability and his, and his attention. attention. Did you guys get that? The prince of God is his nearness, his availability, meaning he's, he is accessible. All of his resources, everything that he has, everything he is, is there to be had. And then his attention. We talked about what it means to have attention. We talked about your conversation. If you were to take your, your best friend out to go eat or you know your spouse, and if, you, if you're sitting at a table and you're pouring your heart out and your spouse is doing this number, come on, you guys have been there, right? Like right now, probably, like when I look around, you aren't, no, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, it's a joke, okay, all right. But yeah, it's not enjoyable, right? When you call your dog and your dog walks the other direction and, and like you don't see the face, you see another part of their body, that's not pleasant, right? You're like, I want your attention. I want your eyes right here, right? There's something about us that to relate to someone, to connect to someone, it requires their attention. That, that's why texting and email and phone calls, they have a, a, how you put that? It's an appearance of intimacy. But there's something that can only be had face to face. And you can even be standing next to someone. But if that person is not giving you their eyes, their attention, there's something missing. And this is crucial because in all the passages that we're about to read, um, God himself describes his presence as having his eyes on that place his eyes on that people his eyes on you and so in the scriptures we see his presence go in many different forms and you know the first form we see god in is the trinity and so the first picture of god we see is he is relational he desires to be known and to know so to get to know to have this two-way relationship with himself and with us. And so everything about his presence is relational. He shows up not to be watched or to be seen from a distance. He shows up to be encountered, to be known, to be seen, to be touched, to be talked to, to have this two-way relationship. And so when you see the prince of God in Scriptures, it's always tied to the idea of relationship. When you see the prince of God leave, it's always because that relationship has been broken by the people of God. Every time we choose that we do not want to live near the presence of God, his presence ceases to be found in that place. The entire Old Testament is a story of Israel going through times of faithfulness and times where they were unfaithful. You can equate that to marriage pretty beautifully. Times of faithfulness, times of unfaithfulness. The final relationship we have with God in the Scriptures The book of Revelation is what? Marriage, right? The bride and the groom. And it's not men, it's not that you guys have to get dressed up in a dress or anything. It's just the idea of this deep, intimate trust. This idea of this relationship where walls are down and everything is free game. Anyone who has a good relationship knows that to get there is difficult. It requires choice. You can have a ring on your finger. You, you can sleep in the same bed. You, you can spend most of your, you know, sleeping and awake hours around someone that doesn't make you close to them. Does that make sense? And everyone kind of is like. Mm. So <laughs> it's okay to about. It. Uh, so. So what we see here is that we can have all these promises from God, but if we choose, if we choose that to not be near, to not be in proximity to the the presence of God, that is our right and our choice. And so once we make this decision, once we say, I want to live near or even in the presence of God, here comes the second question. Here comes this week's topic. Once we choose to be in the presence, we have to prepare for the presence of God. Did you get that? Prepare for the presence of God. So our topic this morning is preparing for the presence of God. Our story last week with David, the entire story starts when he puts the Ark of the Covenant on this new new cart he designs, this new cart with with these large beasts who are pulling this heavy, you know, box without him having to do the effort. And of course, the thing falls and someone dies because of it. And that's when he chooses he doesn't want to be near God because he did not prepare to be near the Prince of God. But the second time around, he chooses to prepare rightfully to live near the Prince of God. And of course, he gets the right people and they have these long poles. These things are about 25 feet long. And so these poles slide through the Ark of the Covenant. So you have men who pick it up together and they walk with it. And the whole picture of it is simple. It's We have a a time of preparation. There are changes in our lives that must be made when we choose to live near the Prince of God. Does that make sense at all? Yeah. I think there's still coffee out there if you guys want some. Yeah. So if you want to be in the Prince of God, you have to prepare for the Prince of God. Okay. So in your marriages, who just fell into the best marriage ever? who just kind of randomly, no, not you, you can't. I'm not talking about you. I messed up I this. You can fall, you can bump into the person, but you didn't fall into the relationship. The relationship takes work. It takes choices. It takes a 100 little baby choices. Okay, I'll do this. I'll open up here. I'll, I'll sacrifice this. It's okay. I'll, I'll fold my clothes. I'll help with the laundry. You guys are not married? Okay, sure. I won't go out with the guys. I'll stay home tonight, right? Come on, okay, anyway. You did not just fall into this deep relationship. That relationship had many twists and turns and choices and steps to it. And so there's preparation, there's work involved to get to that place of intimacy with someone, right? It's a great place for the heads to do this. Yeah, tons of work. You guys, my goodness. So when it comes to preparation, we have to understand that when we are ready to, to live in this new place, when we're ready to live in the presence of God, there's, there's work that has to be done. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, let's go to 2 Chronicles, the 7th chapter. 2 Chronicles, the 7th chapter. I do apologize. It's going to be quite a bit of reading, but just stay with me. I'll try to make it interesting the best I can. We'll, as we read, we'll pause, and I'll add certain things in here and there to kind of help you um, understand what's going on. One thing for you guys to understand here. Do not read this as the Bible. Now stop, okay? Don't burn me alive, okay? Here's what I'm saying. We typically put on our... Church hat. Okay. Oh, it's time to open up the Bible, everybody. Okay. You know, it's almost like the felt board when you guys were like in Sunday school. You know what I'm talking about? We had like the green board with like Adam and Eve. Two. Hey. It's, it's, yes. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Okay. So, what happens with Scripture is I say, oh, we're going to read the Bible and everyone zones out. Let's wait until He explains it, right? Okay. I want you to engage this as if it's a story you've never heard. Like, literally, try to picture it. Put your imagination caps on. I hate saying that, but try it, okay? Try to see what's happening here, okay? So the background of this is simple, okay? The presence of God has always been a sign to his people, right? Of his nearness, his availability, and his attention to them, okay? And so what happens is, his, when his presence comes, it's good. When it leaves, it's bad. But understand that up until this moment in history, the presence of God has been, has been contained in a tent. You ever heard the word uh, tabernacle? You know, harvest time used to be uh, harvest time tabernacle. Then you get a young passion, and they drop off that, that old word, right? But anyways, what that word means is Tent. Fancy, right? Harvest time tent. Grace tent. Ah, okay, makes sense. Okay, now, why would you put something inside a tent? Someone guess. Sure, to keep keep from getting wet. Why would you choose a tent and not a building? Mobile, right? Now, the reason the prince of God was in a tent was because the people of God were always on the move they foreigners, or exiles, they did not have a home. Because the people were always on the move, the prince of God was always on the move. And so you have to understand that the creator of all things lived in a tent. I mean, think about that. That's kind of ridiculous, right? I mean, why would you even, this is ridiculous. Anyways, and so... He had the tent of meeting, and so everywhere this tent was, inside where the ark was, you would have this, this kind of a cloud that kind of hovered, and then sometimes, whenever, the, whenever God was moving in a powerful way, you would have the glory cloud. You'd have this literal physical cloud that would sit over the tent, okay, and it was a sign that God was near, he was available, and of course, they had his attention. And so what's going on here is that we, um, we find Solomon. And he is the one God's chosen to build God a permanent resting place, a permanent home. And, it's, and again, the Bible hat goes on and we just kind of zone out. It's a place where God can always be found. Imagine if you had a place where God would always be there. A room in the house. You're having a bad day. You know, you want an answer. You know, someone in your family is sick and they need to be healed. Oh, I can just go open this door and talk to them. It sounds weird, but put yourself there. God was always accessible in this place. It was the first time in all of history where God was saying, I will always be found in this place. This is why it's a big deal. So there's been all sorts of years of preparation. There's even been uh, his father, David, had also done all sorts of preparation for it. So now it's time to to consecrate the temple, to make it official, you know, to allow God to move into his house, okay? And so here we go in verse 1 of chapter 7. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. Let's stop right there. This is the same glory, okay? This is the weighty prince of God. It is where the weightiness of God shows up in such a way that, that human flesh, sinful human flesh, cannot even live in it. This is the presence where only a human, one human, one time a year after being made pure and clean would go in there with a rope and bell so if he died they could know because the bell would stop ringing and they'd drag him out. Can you imagine if you're in the temple and this cloud starts coming, you would be running so fast. That's when you trip the guy next to you. There you go, you're awake. Oh, it's good to see you. Good morning. Good morning. So that's what's going on here, right? Like, you know, the priests are in there, you know, like they're offering the offering. They're still, you know, keeping things on there. And now they're running, they are sprinting out of the temple. It's a big deal. But you also have a big crowd, okay? All the people are gathered. They're all watching this. This is a pretty special thing that's happening here. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, he is good, his love endures forever now again this line is something that i think most of us have kind of read past but when you understand that to them this was a sign that god was never going to leave them again this response is fitting if god were to come in some kind of a form that made sense to you and tell you i will always be right next to you forever he is good and his love endures forever would be fitting so in the king and all the people they offered sacrifices before the lord and king solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 head of cattle can you imagine 22,000 head of cattle and fires coming down i mean this put yourself there you want to see this in IMAX guys can you imagine fire? Co- you guys, I mean, like, where's the imagination? 22,000 cows are getting burnt up. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, let's don't like this. 22,000 cows on fire on fire. Verse 6. Do what? What was that? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it's not in the tent anymore. Here we go. So the priest took the the positions. that's said, the Levites... With all the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for praising the Lord, which were used when he gave thanks, saying, His love endures forever. Now, understand this. Understand that King David was the first one to create instruments to worship God with. Because up until David, there was such a time of mourning that there was never need to celebrate and worship. And so he's the one who ushered in this idea of being thankful and having joy in the presence of God. So we continue, man, we got a ways to go. i got to hurry, huh? So here we go. Uh, let's, let's skip on down to verse uh, 11. I apologize for skipping, but uh, the worship team just had to go along today, you know. I'll have to get after the worship leader, you know. If you don't know, I live with her, so that's okay. Verse 11. So when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in, in the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in his mind to do in the temple of the Lord in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said... I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or or, uh, uh, command the locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name, well, let's just stop right there. That whole thing there with plague and no rain, I know it's hard for us to connect to that, okay? When bad stuff happens, make sense? When bad stuff happens, if you would turn... I'll be, fi- be found in the same place. Does that make sense? And as we continue, I just want you to. to the scriptures say in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, we see that we have become temples, meaning me and you, have become temples of his spirit. And so as we are reading this, I want you to understand that these same promises are now applying to us individually, meaning that when bad stuff happens, if you would just turn in your heart and decide to come back to me, I will be found right here. that makes sense? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes, see that my eyes, my attention. I'm I'm connecting. I'm here, waiting for you to be with me. Will be open, and my ears attentive to the prayers offered. I got to turn my page. You guys don't have to. In this place, I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My my eyes and my heart will always be there. Again. The way this translates to us today, today we are temples. We are the moving, mobile temples of God where his spirit is always found. And the church is the house and body, meaning us together is where his presence is found. And so what happens is we always have access to God at all times. His, his eyes and his heart will always be found And as for you, if you walk before me as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a man to rule over Israel. Understand that even with David and Solomon both failing, understand that God always, God chose to uphold that promise. That's why Jesus came in the line of David that the man who will rule for all eternity, the King Jesus Christ, came in the lineage of David. Do you see that? We're talking about this time that's so hard for us to kind of reach to and understand, just seems so foreign to us. But yet, if you would just look a little deeper, for a man who even failed God, miserably failed God. God, God's eyes and heart were attentive to him so much that he chose to keep a promise even when David didn't uphold his end of the bargain. So much to allow his son, who's going to rule forever, to come through his line. What in the world? What kind of God is this? I think the challenging aspect of this is it shows us just how close we can live and be near to God if we would just choose it. And what always challenges us is that the people who choose to live near God always, it's always an indictment on us. When someone like David who doesn't have any qualifications for being so loved and trusted and cared for by God just because he chose he was willing to venture in there. And everything about David is, a, is this picture of the relationship that we were going to have through Jesus. Here's a man, the only man we know of, who was able to go behind the tent, who was able to go behind the veil of the presence of God whenever he wanted. And he never died. He never tied some bills across his stomach. He just went in there. After he murdered someone, he goes straight into the presence of God and starts crying. When I do something bad, it's the last place I'm going. Just saying. All right. Now, here's some steps for the way that we prepare. I, I pulled these from basically the first uh, nine chapters of Second Chronicles. So if you guys are wondering where these things come from, that's where they come from. Here's the first step. The first step to preparing for the presence of God in our lives is this, Purification. Now, I'm sure you've got some kind of uh, you know elaborate definition or idea in your head of what that means. Well, let's just make it simple. Purification is this: it's getting clean, removing all things that do not belong. Understand that what preceded the temple, what actually preceded uh, King Solomon was King David, and one thing that King David did was he went and removed all of the idols from the land. Basically, everything that him and his people would turn to instead of God, he had them removed. The first thing we have to do in our lives to live near God, the first thing we have to choose to do is to remove anything else that we would lean on. To reprioritize how we live and how we think and how we react to junk in our lives, to bad things and to good things. We have to to remove things if it's money, if it's a person, if it's a hobby, if it's, a, if it's whatever it is, these things that do not belong here have to be moved out. The first step for preparing our lives to live in the presence of God is purification. Getting anything out of our lives that doesn't belong there. Amen? There's the second thing we do. The second step is worship. Now, worship is the communication of worth, value, and priority of someone or something in relation to others. To make it more simple, worship is any act that we do that shows that this thing means more to us than that thing. Does that make sense? When I'm watching the Razorbacks and I call the hogs, but, but I don't do uh, Roll Tide. Okay. Yeah, which they play tomorrow. And, uh, okay. Okay. I'm saying this, the Razorbacks, have more value than the Tide. Make sense? Okay, goodness, it's simple. To worship means to, sit, to show value of something. Say this means more than that does to me. The presence of God in my life means more than my job. The presence of God in my life means more than the car I drive, the house I live on, living the, the vacations I can take, the the respect of people. It means more than anything else. And so I'm gonna do this to to show God that He means this and that means that. Fasting is also a form of worship. It's an action to communicate to God. This stinks, but I'm doing it for you. You know, sacrifice is a form of worship. And so when we take 21 days to do things that we would not do ordinarily and we say, you know what, I care more about you even than the ability to have coffee on Sunday mornings. You guys think it's funny. You guys wait. The caffeine might be the worst part. The meat, that's tough. The sugar, that's really tough. But the caffeine, it's hard to get up here and preach on Sunday mornings with the caffeine. I have water. I disappoint him every time I sip. I want to cry. So after after we purify, after we examine our lives, we take out everything that doesn't need to be there. Then we say, okay, I've made room for you, God. Now I'm going to show you, I'm going to communicate to you that you have more value than anything else in my life. The next step is prayer. Now, again, we get these ideas of what prayer is. In the Scriptures, prayer is these things. In the Scriptures, prayer is conversation, relation, and partnership with God in things both big and small. The primary thing that prayer is is human beings communicating with God. It's not asking for things. It's not praying for things or asking God to do this or do that. It's communication with God. It's connecting with him. It's giving your attention to him and knowing he is giving his attention to you. It's knowing. It's living in the place of knowing his eyes and his heart are with me. And because of that, I'm going to give him my attention and my intention. My attention and my intention. Did you guys get that? (laughs) I should put that in the notes. Because I know his eyes and his heart are with me, I'm going to give him my attention and my intentions, what I truly desire to do, what I really plan to do in the deepest part of my heart. Not the things I say, but what do I really plan to do in the deepest part of me? That's what prayer is. It's conversation. It's relating. it's, It's getting to know him. It's allowing him to get to know you. And, and then it even turns into partnership. That's when, that's when, we, when we begin to be used by God to, to, to see him move in situations, to change things. That's the partnership part. So we've cleaned out the house. We've shown God that he's more important to us than anything else. And now, because we've done that, now we're coming to a place where we are getting eye to eye. We are having this relationship like we've never had before. We are connecting and we are we are starting a new relationship through prayer. Here's the next thing that happens. When you've made room, when you start taking steps towards him, when you start spending time with him, something starts stirring inside of you. Hunger. Now what stinks is we all wished that hunger would start first. We all wished that we would start hungry and it would let us do the rest of the things. Ah, I don't explain this. Who here you're likes like, uh, uh, Brussels, Brussels sprouts? sprouts. <sighs> Latonya, you're, you're killing, killing me today. today. <laughs> I love pasta. I love Brussels sprouts. <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. Like, they're not that bad. Okay, imagine a food you don't like. Is there any food you don't like, Latonya? Sure. Green beans? So you like, you like Brussels sprouts, not green beans? Canned green beans. Okay, canned green beans. Okay. okay. You, right in this moment, I hope, okay, if you're normal, okay. Not many of you in this moment have a hunger, a deep desire, a knowledge that you need green beans. Right? Okay, I didn't see any hands. Okay, we're good. Canned green beans, cold. But if you don't eat anything for three days, cold green beans start looking really good. And so the problem with hunger, specifically for God, is He's so. Put this. He's so gentle with us. He's so patient. He's so slow in forcing or moving anything upon us that he can be the one standing in the room while everyone else is clamming for our attention. His voice is always the one that is the whisper when all the other ones are screaming at us. His desire for us is always the one that's the most subtle when everyone else is, you know, loud and in our face. And what happens with our hunger for God is we typically have to begin to push aside everything else so that we can realize that we truly want it. Now, the Prince of God is not cold green beans, okay? But sometimes it can look like that to us when it's been a long time since we've been there. The craziest thing about the Prince of God is when you have a moment where you really, in some way, shape, or form, know that God's eyes and heart are with you, it it touches you in that moment in a way to where in that moment you would never want anything else. But what's so difficult is it's so easy to forget that moment. It's so easy to forget what it felt like. You know, in marriage, it's easy for you to have a moment with someone where you go, you know what, I just love this person so much. Don't you wish you could live in that moment all the time? (laughs) Because there's moments where you don't feel those feelings, where you're like, you know what, that one day when I felt that, what what was happening? I mean, like, what were (laughs) my... Come on, really? Be honest. Okay, yeah. Okay, we have honest people in this place. Okay, you don't. You, it's hard because you can't live in the moment. And so, for those of you who had marriages that are strong and healthy, you've learned how to cultivate your love and your affection for one another. You intentionally spend time with that person. You know, most most issues in marriages happen when people are spending time developing relationships with other people, not their spouse. And they start saying, "Well, I just don't love you anymore." That's because you've been eating a lot of other food, and you go, yeah, I'm not sure if I like that anymore. You've developed new tastes. And what happens in our marriage and with God is we have to be intentional about making room and space to remind ourselves, oh, oh, that's right. This is what I want, not that. But it takes being intentional, and that is what preparation for the presence of God is all about. Making room to feel that hunger that's inside. What's interesting about fasting, if you guys were to do a, like an all-out fast today, and you weren't to eat for about three four days, on about the fourth day, you stop feeling hungry. Your stomach just goes numb. Now, on that third day, you'll eat about anything, okay? But the fourth day, something changes in your body, and you just, I'm good. You don't really crave anything. But if you can get around a smell, Cinnabon, right? I mean, okay, you can not be hungry, but if you get that smell, all of a sudden, that's what I'm missing. And the presence of God is like that. You can go for years and, and feel, oh, I'm good. But the moment you get in, the moment you get yourself in a place where you can just be reminded of what it's like then nothing else will satisfy. When you want Cinnabon, okay, a hot dog is not going to fix the craving. That's what you want. Does that make sense? It's what we do with hunger is we begin to clean everything out of the way. We begin to tell God he's what we want most. We begin to spend time with him. And that time with him is what gets that smell and reminds us, that's right, I don't want anything else. Here's the last thing that happens. Once we've done that, once we've allowed hunger to begin stirring inside of us, then we begin to want so much more that we choose consecration. Now, to consecrate yourself is to set yourself aside and say, you know what, I know in this moment that I want this more than I could ever want anything else, so much so that I'm going to make a choice to set myself aside and say, you know what, I am only available for this. For the rest of my life, I will only eat cinnamon rolls. That's what this is. It's called consecration. You say, you know what? There's a moment in that relationship where your desire for that person is so strong. You say, you know what? I'm taking myself out of it for anyone else. And from now on, this is all I want. When that hunger begins to get stirred inside of you, it becomes so clear that nothing else is worth anything compared to him, and you are willing to consecrate yourself, to set yourself aside for just him forever. This isn't just getting saved. It's a place where you say, whatever you want, whatever the cost, I want to be with you. So consecration is a heart decision to pledge soul, allegiance, and devotion of your entire being, life, and future to God. In these 21 days, my prayer for you is that you wouldn't just be, you wouldn't just do something, you know, because everyone's doing it, but that it would lead you to a place where you get reminded that there's nothing like God. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like spending time with him and it grips you so much that you decide that whatever changes have to be made, they will be made because I want to live near God. Would you guys stay with me? Just a reminder, As you guys head out today, we're going to have those uh, fasting guides available for you guys. It's very helpful, I encourage you to grab one. But uh, this morning as we close, just two things for you guys. Uh, The first one is this, you know, if, it's so hard to not make this trite, but if there's not, if you're in this room and you know that you have never truly committed, you never truly intended you never truly made a decision to give yourself to God we can change that this morning the gospel is very simple the gospel is that God has come from where he was to where we are to be near to us and he's made his son the one who can save us from death and the one who can bring us near to him but in doing that we have to embrace him as everything that Jesus is he's savior He's friend, but he's also king. And so, if you haven't made Jesus the the savior and the king of your life, we can change it this morning. So we we'll want people up here after service to pray for you guys. And right now, I'm, I'm just going to call the prayer team on up. You guys can come on, make it to the stage. But the biggest thing this morning is is this. I, I just want to pray for anyone who just kind of feels numb in their hearts. You know, it's it's one of those things where. You might have had a time in your life where you, where that smell, the aroma, the sensation of being near God was so strong that in that moment you were willing to do whatever, but it's been a long time since then. And in the years that have passed between that point and this one, your hunger for God has just gone. It's just kind of left with a void, kind of a numbness. It's hard to feel anything. I just want to pray for you guys. you guys would kind of close your eyes, we're all humans. Kind of helps us. Father, we come to you this morning.